0: And welcome to the special simulcast of The Neil Haley Show, The Media Giant Effect, and Celebrity Interviews Live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, how are you? And I'm, I'm just telling you right now, I'm so excited about this guest. And because I guess because I like to impersonate people, that's probably one of them. And I was just with Jim Meskimen, and Jim said hello to you, uh, Rich. So I wanted to tell you that. But I'm ex- first excited to welcome my co host, Greg Hanna. Greg, how are you?
1: Doing fantastic. Great to see you, Neil. And I'm so excited to speak with uh, Mr. Rich here.
0: Yes, I'm with Rich Little, the legendary Rich Little. And Jim Meskiman said uh, uh, hello. And I'm so honored to have you on, Rich. Thanks for stopping by. And how did it all start as a comedian? What, what do you think was the first beginning process for you? Was it, what, what kind of was your iconic type of comedy starting out in your career?
2: Um, I started imitating teachers at school and I knew this was going to be my lifetime work because it wasn't long before the teachers were charging a two drink minimum and a cover charge.
0: (laughs) So how upset were they getting at you when you
2: would? Well, if you know, when I imitated the teachers, when they had asked me a question, I would answer them and it was usually the wrong answer in their voice. And that's what upset them.
0: <laughs> I have a great one. I'm going to do a shout out to the late sister Anita uh, in in high school. She would always come in and try to scare all the athletes, biology. And she had a talk like this. And yeah, I started in the beginning. Sounds like Julia Child, huh? Oh, <laughs> I. I try to do my Julia Child voice at home. You know, first you do this and you but I'm not here for Rich is the expert. Well let's go, Greg, hey, your first question. How, how do you make an Apple turnover? Just give it one hell of a push.
1: But <laughs> well, Rich, you gotta go from that to uh Chef Ramsey now.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I I have don't think I've heard him talk, but I've certainly eaten his food.
1: Yeah. Pretty amazing out in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Um, so I have a question for you. So which was your favorite show? If we go way back, you know, back on you know, talk show interviews, uh, you know, Johnny Carson show, you know, probably you've been on Letterman, I'm sure uh, a bunch of times. What was your favorite and what's different between, you know, those days on TV versus versus today?
2: Well, um, you know, back in the 70s, we had a lot of variety shows. And uh, that was great for me. We don't have any of those anymore. I I would say my favorite show that I did in the 70s was the Julie Andrews show. Because Julie sang mostly, and uh, I did a lot of the comedy with Alex Ghostman. um, And uh, the two of us did uh, most of the comedy on that show. And, uh, that was a fun show to do. Um, the Dean Martin roasts were fun to do, although a lot of pressure and, uh, hosting the tonight show, which I did 32 times.
0: Yeah. yeah wow. That's probably where I remember you the most. What years were you hosting the T- tonight show?
2: Um, back in the seventies. Um, and, uh, you know, I appeared on the show, um, an awful lot, but I hosted it 32 times and, um, that, that was a lot of pressure because, um, uh, It was live and uh, everybody watched the Tonight Show, you know, Uh, I would say doing the Dean Martin Rose and the Tonight Show is the most pressure I ever had. Uh, Doing the Dean Martin Rose, um, there was so much pressure because you were performing in front of the the greats of show business, you know, were sitting next to you. And um, that was a bit uh, (laughs) nerve wracking, I'll tell you. But, um, you know, I've I've had a pretty good career. I can't complain about anything, really. And I'm still healthy. You know, I thank God I didn't get those COVID shots.
1: I'll tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's a different show and another show.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't didn't get the shots, but I got COVID. So I've got natural immunity. So I'm, I'm pretty safe, actually, you know.
1: No, that's great. Fantastic. Just a quick aside. I was speaking to a new uh, employee yesterday and he was excited because he had his second or third booster.
2: Yeah, it's unfortunate. I know about six people who have died getting those shots. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it depends. Uh, so it's good for some people and not for other people. So it,
0: uh, it's a mixed bag. It really is. It's a mixed bag. Really... If you get COVID or not COVID and what type of strain, that's the other problem, you know, you, exactly. Know, like, yeah. You know, your immunity and if you, were worn down in a specific time. so it all—it's just like the flu. Some people, I never got a flu shot ever, and no, I
2: don't think we should get a flu shot. I
0: mean, you don't
2: know what's in it. You know that's the thing about getting a shot of—you uh, you really don't know uh, what the effects going to be. You know, and uh, uh, a flu shot could be dangerous. Maybe it, maybe it isn't. You know, it's it's a, as I say, it's a mixed bag. It really is. Uh, go ahead,
0: Greg. Next question.
2: Yeah, me.
1: completely. Um, so you told us how you got started uh, with uh, impressions uh, with your teachers and all. Um, later on in your career, let's say maybe within the last uh, 10, 15 years or so, what what are you now looking back thinking is your favorite, like, impressions or two to do consistently?
2: Well, there's a number of uh, people that I imitate that are my favorites. Um, uh, I've Jim, got Jim, Jimmy Stewart. Is, is, is one of them. And uh, and Jack Benny is another, you know, and uh, John, John, Johnny Carson, ah, uh, Johnny Carson. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, did you people hear that last night here in Las Vegas thieves broke into the police department and stole all their toilet seats. So far the, the police have nothing to go on. That's a typical Carson joke, corny, and,
0: corny. <laughs> and Rich, because of, as, as the comedian with impersonating people through comedy, HBO was big for you too, wasn't it, Richard? Back in the, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, HBO was great for me. I did uh, a Christmas Carol where I played all the parts and that won an Emmy and was shown on um, um, HBO. I think, uh, oh gosh, for about uh, six or seven years. Six or seven Christmases in a row. Wow. And, um, that, that was great. I did Robin Hood the same way where I played all the parts. Those were fun shows to do.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's I remember you also having comedy specials on HBO as well, right? Yeah.
2: I had a couple of comedy specials on HBO. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's amazing uh, what yeah. HBO branding, when it was like one of the first cable channels coming out and especially paid cable were a paid channel before the days of the OTT networks that you see today. And that anyone that kind of had their rise to the top in certain ways, in HBO, people never forget. I don't know why, I guess, because not everyone had HBO. It was the coolest thing in the world to go watch HBO. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, I still watch HBO. You know, I'm, a, I'm a big movie buff. I really am. I, I watch most movies on the buff. Um, and, um, uh, you know, I um, I watch a movie almost every day you know I I, I I that's how I got into doing impressions I was such a uh, a great movie fan and uh, loved movie actors and um, I wanted to be them so the best way to do that was to imitate them that's what I did
1: very very cool What's I've got a form? book
2: uh, I've got a book um that's being re-released called people i have known and been um oh, wow. It's not a biography. It's just funny things that have happened uh, with me and celebrities down through the years. And um, you know, I don't know whether you know this or not, but I'm I'm an artist. I I do a lot of sketches and uh, you know, do a lot of uh, portraits. There's one of uh, oh wow George Bush uh, Senior. And uh, you know, there's so much, so many people that I uh, drew. And uh, here's a guy that I really admired was Don Rickles. Yeah, I think Don was the funniest man I've ever seen in my life. I don't think there was anybody funnier than Don Rickles. He had a mind that was unbelievable, you know?
0: You've, you've met so many celebrities. You're a celebrity yourself, you're iconic. But that's one of the parts of this, is the stories, as you said in this book, of meeting celebrities, presidents, really high level people. How did you, I mean, uh, you are that kind of iconic. How did you deal with that and understand that when you meet those people that are even bigger? Yeah, I
2: think that's, uh, that's probably the biggest enjoyment I ever got out of show business was the people I've met and worked with, you know? I mean, when I was a kid growing up, I, I just idolized Jimmy Stewart. And I didn't realize that within uh, five or six years, uh, I would be uh, working with him and got to know him quite well. And that happened with a lot of people that I admired. Jack Benny was another one I got to really know well. And George Burns. And, uh, you know, so many of, of the people that I admired. I mean, it's, you know, you, you can admire somebody from afar, but, you know, to meet them and work with them is really incredible that that happened to me. And um, I used to pinch myself, and, I, you know, I still do, that I was so fortunate to know so many of the greats and if you go and see my show, I'm still performing. I'm at the Tropicana hotel. Uh, I've been there for six years and um, I perform Thursday through Sunday at six 30 in the laugh factory. And um, that that's great for me to keep working at my age, you know, it it, uh, it uh, it's good for my, uh, my, my, um, my brain, you know, and uh, keeps, keeps me active. And, um, Hopefully keeps me young, you know. But, but you as George Burns once said, you know, Rich, you gotta have a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Or get into bed, one or the other. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm
2: such a Fantastic. huge fan of George Burns,
0: especially the God movies. They were the best they're they the best. Oh my goodness. You're giving me memory after memory. And that's the thing about being able to people that passed away. To continue to have their voice live on that's got to be powerful isn't it
2: right. yeah george burns once said to me he said rich you know you do me so good in fact it's so great that i thought when i passed away they should have buried you
1: oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's excellent. i loved
2: him and i love jack benny too jack deck was a sweetheart he had no ego jack benny at all he was just a regular guy and, uh, you know, when, when you were with him, I felt that way about Reagan, too. Uh, I got to know uh, President Reagan quite well. And um, I, I never felt like I was with anybody really that important because he was just such a natural person to be with and had a great sense of humor. And um, one time at the White House, Reagan did some impressions for me. <laughs> Can you believe this? That's oh, fantastic. Right. Yeah, he's an actor,
0: right? He was an actor. So
2: that, <laughs> yeah, well, he, he was an actor. Yeah, well, I guess he was. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know. know
2: Richard, a couple of movies you know, where had, you know uh, one time I said to him, I said, you know, I'm such a movie buff. And I was reading somewhere that you were the first choice, Mr. President, to play Rick in Casablanca. Is that true? And he said to me, no, that's not true. I wanted to play the, the Bergman part.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> wanted to play Ingrid Bergman's role in the Casablanca. But I think that is, that is true. He was considered uh, to um, play Rick and Casablanca. I think uh, before he, they gave it to Humphrey Bogart, that that's <laughs> a true story. Yeah.
1: So, so Rich, I, I got to ask you, what, what did you and, uh, President Reagan do during his inauguration that got Betty Davis uh, a little ticked off.
2: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's a that's a long story, but it's funny. I uh, I I phoned up uh, Betty Davis to ask her why she didn't come to the inauguration, and uh, I did it as Jimmy Stewart putting her on, <laughs> and uh, she really thought it was Jimmy calling. And then when she asked me something personal, I I couldn't answer it, and I had to say to her. Uh, say to her, I'm sorry, uh, Ms. Davis, but uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not Jimmy Stewart, I'm, uh, I'm Rich Little. And she swore at me and hung up. <laughs> and then we told Reagan about it, what, what I did. And he said, let's get her on the phone. And I'll straighten this out. So uh, Reagan uh, got on the phone and uh, phoned up Betty Davis and said, Hello, bet. This is President Reagan calling. And uh, she said, go to hell, Rich Little, and hung up. (laughs) (laughs) True story. True story. Actually, it was a little little stronger than that, but I
1: didn't want (laughs) to. But this is a family show. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. We try to make it family, Greg. Now, here's the thing. Um, When you talk about all the different presidents that you can do, and you continue Uh to do. Is that one of your major fortes? Do you get to meet every one of the presidents because you can do that? Have you met him? Yeah, I've I've
2: met a lot of presidents and imitated a lot of presidents. And um, I'm doing Biden at the moment. Boy, he's written me a lot of great material. I'm having a lot of fun with him. He's sort of Mr. Magoo, you know. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Have you met him? him. Rich, have you met him? What? Have you met President Biden? No, no, I haven't. No, I, I I, don't think I want to. No, no. Yeah. If you could see what I'm doing with him in my act, I don't think he'd want to meet me. <laughs> so let's maybe, hear, let's maybe, hear some material. Maybe, I, I, maybe. I, I, maybe wouldn't know who I was, you know. I don't. <laughs> anyway, he's a great subject, you know. Hey, man, you chumps out there. I want you to know that President Harris and myself are doing the work of three people, Curly, Moe, and Larry. <laughs> I don't think he'd like that.
0: No, I. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) All right. So let's uh, go away from politics because I'm not going to try to get in trouble rich because this is not that show. I do other shows like that and I have to stop. Uh, Let's kind of, you know, what do you think when you think about your legacy, you want people to remember you most by?
2: Um, Well, that I brought a little enjoyment into their life. And they forgot their troubles, uh, you know, for an hour or so. And um, you know, basically, that's that's it. That um, make people laugh is a, is a great thing, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm doing an article tomorrow about uh, the Queen. That nobody knows that uh, Queen Elizabeth did impressions. Oh. And I asked Charles. I met um, the future King um, Charles. Uh, years and years ago at, at a dinner in Ottawa Canada and I asked him about that and he said that uh, his mother did impressions isn't that amazing wow and I said to him well who does she do and and he said she does Catherine Hepburn and she does um um I forget a couple of English movie movie stars and a couple of um, uh, ladies-in-waiting and um and uh and, uh, and, a, and a cook at Balmoral Castle you know and I thought that was interesting that the the, the queen actually did did impressions which d- just doesn't seem to make sense to me because she doesn't seem
0: the type does she
1: no she doesn't
0: <laughs> you check her biography from the show on um, the show on Netflix the crown you would yeah. see her younger days that she was very very uh, out of the box kind of like Diana in a lot of ways, she yeah. was not the normal royalty. It's amazing how she changed in so many ways. But if you look back at her time before becoming queen, in the story, that's probably the best season of the crown is first season and second season. I couldn't yeah. get through it past that, Rich. I started falling asleep. Well, no, because
2: the 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 um, the gal that played the the younger Queen Elizabeth really looked like her. Right. You know. And uh, later on, um, it wasn't quite as good, was it? Because I forget the name of the gal that played her, but she, boy, she was a dead ringer for her. Wow, mm. that was incredible. But it's a good series. It's a very good series. It is, but to learn more about who she is. And that's very, very important. Well, I met her twice. I met her twice. And um, and uh, and when I did meet her, she shook my hand and she said to me, I like impersonators. So that kind of backed up my story that Prince Charles told me that she did impressions because she said, I like impersonators, you know, but, but I guess there's no record of the queen ever doing impressions, you know, which would be incredible to see, wouldn't it? Could you imagine Queen Elizabeth doing Joan Rivers or something? (laughs) (laughs) You never know
0: behind closed doors,
2: what (laughs) certain people do. (laughs) Well, Charles said to me that she, she did impressions For members of the family at at parties and things like that. So she never did him any impressions publicly at all. You know. So so there's no record at all of her doing any
0: impressions. All right. Now, Greg, what do you remember most about Rich? I'm interested in knowing that. Because again, I remember HBO for sure. I remember the Tonight Show. I remember the the most iconic, you know, of doing different presidents and stuff like that. And just the Rich Little is a synonymous for. comedy and well you know it's interesting because my audience are older people
2: because they know who jack benny is and george burns and john wayne and jimmy stewart but younger people um you know unless they're interested in the past they have no idea who i'm doing you know sometimes i have some young people in the audience they're laughing at the jokes but they're not really knowing who i'm impersonating i had a 15 year old kid sitting down in front the other night And he was laughing his head off. And I kept thinking, he doesn't know anybody I'm doing. And and when the show was over, I called him over and I said, you seem to enjoy my show. He said, Mr. Little, you're hysterical. Oh, I thought it was great. But I was confused. I said, what do you mean you were confused? He said, well, as you were performing, I just wondered why you kept changing your voice.
0: (laughs) Go not that, that great? Isn't that great? He was oh, laughing at the fantastic. jokes.
2: He was laughing at the jokes. Yeah, but he didn't know who I was doing. You know, I've had people come up to me and, and say to me, "I saw your show, and the, the best impression you did was the drunk." I said, "The drunk? Who the heck's that? That's Dean Martin." You see, <laughs> didn't know who he was. Just thought he I was doing a drunk.
1: <laughs> oh, that's so funny and well, they you know, probably Dean, know who Biden Dean, is.
2: Uh, Dean, I knew Dean quite well. Dean did not drink that much. A lot of people think Dean was drunk all the time. He didn't drink really as much as you thought he did. He, actually, he spilled most of it. But um, um, he, um, I don't, I think in the Rat Pack, I think uh, that Frank and Sammy drank more
0: than Dean did. I had Dean on my show a couple of weeks ago. We had a good conversation. So. Oh yeah,
2: I like her. She's a. Great gal. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: Was it did, did she say a lot of uh, interesting things on the show? Oh, her? her
0: stories are amazing. And yeah. definitely wanna, it's just amazing. Yeah, to like hear the history. She's great. I'm waiting for a,
2: well, Dean a documentary. Was, uh, Dean for? was like Johnny Carson. You never already got to know him, you know. Uh
0: they were both uh, Huh? No, I was gonna say, are you looking to ever have a documentary out or a movie that'll be about based on your life, Rich? Oh gosh, no, that would put people to sleep um uh no i don't think
2: uh wonder god if they did a movie on my life who would play me
0: (laughs) that you see these movies they happen these netflix series i don't think think there'd be any interest in i think so the people you've met your story your background of how you made it as an as a comedian and become as iconic as you can and all the people you've met that's definitely an opportunity for a movie or a series that's my take
2: yeah, but who's going to play all the people that I've met?
0: You know,
1: that's hey, what CGI hey. is for.
0: <laughs> <laughs> go figure. Yeah. Right, go oh, that's crazy. Yeah, Good, great. Go
1: but you know, real, real question, uh, quick question for you. Um, you've had so much experience, uh, such a wonderful career, so much knowledge, so many people you've met. If if you had to boil it down for the listeners on my audience, you know, what's the number one most important thing you've ever learned
2: that I've ever learned? Yeah. Um, to uh, uh, nice to people. And, uh, you know, um, and then just uh, be a regular guy and, um, you know, try not to, uh, to, uh, you know, push people around or, or, or you know, I, I spend hours signing autographs. And uh, sometimes it's boring, but I know how important it is, you know, yeah. it's amazing when you meet people um, almost every night when I meet people and shake their hand, uh, they 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 like to tell you tell you where they saw you last. I saw you at the so-and-so theater in 1972. And uh, do you remember me? <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, I don't know. Did I meet you? No, I was sitting in the audience. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh,
0: that's great. weird. That's weird. <laughs> So current projects you have, Rich, you have, you're you're performing in Vegas, anything else that you got going? You got your book, right, as
2: well? got my book. um, My book, um, you know, it's re-released. I I put it out about uh, six or seven years ago, and uh, they didn't promote it very well. So I added a few new chapters and got a new cover for it. And uh, I think you'll find it interesting. Of course, you have to know the people that I'm doing. You know, if, if, you, if you read this book and didn't know any of them, it would be the most boring book you'd ever read. But uh, there's a lot of very funny stories in here because, you know, as you said, I've met so many people and worked with so many of the greats and uh, they're all gone, really. I, I've got a picture in my hallway of um, the Frank Sinatra, uh, Dean Martin Roast, and uh, at the end of the roast, we all pose for a picture, the whole cast. And um, I've got this picture, and everybody in it is deceased except me, and 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 Ruth Buzzy. I think she's alive, but uh, everybody else is gone. Wow! You know, so my act is really deceased. You know,
0: yeah. And that's where you never know when they all come back, and these different biographies or different shows with all the streaming networks. Who knows? For sure, you can pick up your book on your website, or is it available on Amazon anywhere? Yeah, it's fam. Amazon.com. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Rich, do you have a place people can follow you and stuff as well? Do I want follow you? Follow you on social media or where can? Oh yeah, stuff? yeah,
2: yeah. You can you can follow me. I'm um uh, richlittle.com. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm available for any questions or people want to buy my book or anything, you know we appreciate it when people come to Vegas they'll come and see me at the Tropicana
0: absolutely i'm going to have a one on one interview with you especially when i hit i want to hit the when i hit vegas that'll be coming soon i'll have to let you know well, if,
2: vegas is a great little city you know if they if they ever get it finished um it's it's a city of constitution institution and pros, pros
0: prosperity <laughs> <laughs> all right we well, appreciate it rich and greg hanesat tossc 3com and i'm at neilhaley.com appreciate you guys and that was celebrity interviews live from the grotto thanks again rich appreciate it thank Thank you guys thank you rich
1: have a wonderful day pleasure we're back
0: to the neil haley show and you know when i think about specifically enough anti-aging and reversing aging process i really am looking forward towards that i'm going to turn 50 in january and i have been focusing more and more on my health and trying to find ways to feel younger again, and it's an interesting thing, and it's a process. Because if you're an entrepreneur, you got, you have to take care of your health. You have to work out. I've lost X amount of weight, lifting, trying to get in the shape that I was in my 30, 20s, and 30s. And I'm excited to welcome my guest, who's an expert in this, uh, Dr. Christine. Ott. Uh, Dr. Christine, how are you? Thanks for stopping by.
3: That's great. Thanks for having
0: me, Neil. Oh my gosh! Did not you talk about it? I saw your background again as an orthopedic surgeon. Whoa. And you went into anti-aging. So that was an interesting shift. What was, and you still do both, but what, what was the reason you decided to do that?
3: So I had my second daughter in 2003. And after I delivered her, I just didn't feel well. I started losing my hair. I started, uh, my skin kind of looked gray. I lost a lot of energy. I was fatigued. And it got worse and worse where I couldn't even go to work. Oh, so, no. Uh, and I went to, of course, being a physician, I went to my physician friends. that were internists and family doctors, and they said, there's nothing wrong with you. Uh, we can't find anything wrong with you. Your thyroid looked fine. Your everything looked okay. So What I did was started researching on my own because I knew I was not feeling well. And I kept researching and talking to a lot of people. And I finally found out um, after a lot of time and effort that I had hormone imbalances. And it took about three months of treating my hormone imbalances. And I was back to normal, right back to work, seeing uh, patients and doing everything. And that kind of taught me that I needed to, switch my focus a little and needed to take care of myself, but also wanted to reach out to other people who are not feeling well and know there's something wrong with them, but mainstream medicine is telling them they're fine that I really felt like I had a new mission to get out and help some of these people. So I went and uh, did some training at first and a bioidentical hormone replacement therapy then followed it up with a full fellowship with the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine with the board certification.
0: Wow. So you figured this out. What things are people surprised about? You figured it out, changed your life again, health wise, and you went on this mission. What do you think people are missing when they think about hormone imbalance that they really don't think about? You know, and this is not just happens to women, it happens to men, which is surprising. And I've learned more about what that's about from just basically checking out and hearing from people I've interviewed.
3: So when you hit around 40 years old, you just start not feeling yourself. You start not feeling right. And you lose your vitality, you lose energy. You're not as sharp in the boardroom. A lot of men uh, lose, you know, sharpness in the boardroom, also decrease libido, irritability. And women start to get hot flashes, night sweats, wrinkles, irritability. And what people don't realize is that this is, although it is considered normal, it's reversible. And so really every I I tell a hundred percent of people that are over 40 that they really need to get their hormones checked because that's when you're starting to really feel the effects of the hormones dropping that started when you were 25. So it's for everyone. It's for women and men and some people, even some younger people are younger than 40.
0: Why don't they test this? Like being in a regular doctor's office. What's, what's the reason?
3: Well, your mainstream doctors, unfortunately, including a a lot of OB guys, I went to my first person I went to when I started feeling badly was my obstetrician gynecologist. And he's a fantastic person, but they are not trained in hormone balance. That is not where they're trained. They're trained in surgery and, and examinations. And so what you really need to do is see someone who is trained in hormone balance and what happens is you go to a lot of people just go to their mainstream doc and expect them to test their hormones. And what they'll do, they'll run just a regular profile for your thyroid, which will not pick up uh, low T3 and uh, functional reasons why you, your thyroid is low. They, they just do a couple of, they do the TSH, the T4. And if those are normal, that's it. They stop. And what they also know and, and they agree with is that your hormone levels decline with age and that's normal. So and what mainstream medicine and insurance companies do is say, well, you are normal. So there's no reason to treat normal. Well, normal means you're dropping your hormones starting at age 25. You're becoming symptomatic by age 40 and you're dead by age 79. And that's what they expect. So you have to kind of step oh out. Yeah. yeah, you kind of have to step out of this mainstream thinking that you know you're going to feel terrible when you get older, you're going to lose your eyesight, you're going to get wrinkles, you're going to get joint stiffness, you're going to not feel as good and that's just not true. These things are reversible and you just have to go to someone who understands the medicine and the biology, the physiology and the treatment behind these disorders, which unfortunately is not your mainstream doctor right now.
0: Have you seen people that have gone to get their hormones tested in their forties that don't have this, or as most, most people do, what percentage do you see that have hormone imbalance when they go to get tested?
3: I would say 99% of people have uh, low levels. And what we mean by low, another thing that's really important to qualify is that mainstream medicine has laboratories that tell you for example let's pick testosterone normal is between 300 and 1100 so if you go in and you're 40 years old and you're not feeling well and you can tell your doctor you know, over the last five years, I've lost energy, I can't think as fast, and I'm getting wrinkles, I, uh, I'm gaining weight, I'm getting belly, I've been working now all the time, I've been eating right, and I'm still not where I want to be, and it's just not fair. And they'll check your testosterone level, and they'll say, well, you're 300, you're normal. But what is true, what we know as hormone balancing specialists, is maybe your normal is the 1100. So what we need to do is make sure that you find what your normal is, not just that you fall into this normal bell curve of a rage. So you have to not only be tested, but you have to have a practitioner that understands how to review the
0: results. That's right. And you could get a natural saying your, your average testosterone for your age. And yet ultimately that average is not what you want. You want results of feeling still young, and as you said, reversing aging. And people just aren't understanding that can happen through experts like yourself going and checking out. So it's it's interesting. You said ninety nine percent. That's amazing to think about. So that hopefully more and more doctors like yourself will be around. People will choose the alternative, then going to there are other people saying, "Hey, this is just part of life. Just age." That's it. Because, again, you you know, it's just like going through a cycle, right? 79, you're dead. Boom. Next person. Instead of really becoming who you are and enjoy growing older and still feeling young. So where's the best place people can check you out and stuff? Where where can you go to find out more information on you?
3: So the youth youthrx.com the x.com is my website and as my business website and also Dr. ott.com d o c t o r o t t.com and we see we are accepting new patients and you can at least look on our website read about the different hormones the different symptoms and see if you fit any of those and i will tell you that that most people do and we we get a lot of patients from uh just reading through and understanding. And then we do a 15 minute discussion with every patient just to see if, you know, they want to start and they're, if they're a good match and right for us. And uh, most people are.
0: Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Great information. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. It's a pleasure talking with you, Neil. All right. You're listening to the Neil Haley show. and We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show. And my guest today, I tell you what, uh, she's a media mogul. Alicia Curry, uh, I'm excited for you to come on the show. And, you know, I see specifically enough books, everything. Wow, you're you're out there. How did that journey begin? Tell us how it happened.
4: Thank you so much, Neil. You know, it's interesting because I never thought that I would be an author. I never thought that I would be in media. I would be in front of the... In fact, I never even thought I'd be in front of a camera ever, ever, ever. Because I struggled so much with my own confidence and being seen. And um, it was a real internal journey for me to even recognize how much I'd been hiding. Um, And this has only been in the last 10 years or so. So um, I didn't set out to be in the media, I didn't set out to be what I am today. But when I realized that that really was my desire, I I had to make some shifts and go after what it is I really wanted to do. So it's all about building your own confidence to do the thing you want to do. And so, that's basically was that, message. so. message.
0: So what made the shift? The shift? Were you in corporate? How, how was that shift?
4: No, <clears throat> I wasn't in corporate. The sh- I had my own business. So I had a beauty business. Okay. Um, and... I kept feeling that my clients who would come and sit in my chair and I do hair and makeup on them, they always started, well, not, I don't want to use the word always, but many of them would, the majority of them would start with, what can you hide? What can you cover up? Can you make this go away? Like they would always, and there I go again, using always, I had a predominance of this um, hide this. Get rid of this. Okay. And it made me wonder why are these women thinking that, feeling that um, they're beautiful and I'm enhancing their beauty? I'm not trying to hide stuff. And when I wanted to grow my business some more, I hired a coach Mm -hmm. and confronted the same exact thing I was hearing, except externally, internally. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And it that's makes,
4: what helped me sense. make the shift.
0: Because exactly. people block their thinking that they can, but when they have an idea for business, they have an idea for specific things. What their mistake is, they feel that, yeah, I have a great idea. But yet, if you want to ask them to give an elevator pitch on it or tell people about it, they're not confident to sell it to somebody.
4: Right. And, and that comes right. from inside. It could definitely. And why do you think it comes in from, from inside? Because your self-image, your self-perception, it controls everything. That subconscious mind, you know, over the years, I've done a lot of work, a lot of research, a lot of, I read a lot on the subconscious mind and the triggers that we have. And, and so you could say something on the outside. You can say something intellectually that's coming from your conscious mind, but if the belief that you have about yourself and about that thing and the self image that you have is not in alignment with the words that you're saying, it's never going to come to pass because your results come from your subconscious mind. And that's the one thing I had to start looking at. What are my results? What are the results I've been getting and why hasn't certain things worked? And it's because the, the image I had of myself was very low. And I had to dig all of that up. It's not a pleasant experience. (laughs) It's no fun. But one of my favorite quotes is by Leland Van Vanderwal. I have two very, very, um, that are very significant for me. And he says that the amount of of, uh, growth a person can experience is in direct proportion to the amount of truth they can accept about themselves without running away. And so if you can accept some of those truths about yourself and learn to grow from it, you you know, sky's the limit.
0: Wow, it's really reflecting on who you are and what you're trying to bring to the table in this world, and yet look at your weaknesses and understand them, and be able to strengthen certain things, while also, I guess, putting your ego to zero. Because right, <laughs> I mean, we're gonna we're gonna do that. We're we have to do that in certain ways. All right, so you have
4: to lay the ego aside. So then, and- when your
0: journey yeah. changing, your new shift the last ten years. Explain
4: more what you do Uh, about what I do now. So I, I work with corporate oddly enough now, (laughs) and I also work with individuals, but it's, it's, we help organizations. So I'll give you my elevator pitch, right? Okay. (laughs) So we, we provide audacious solutions to those nagging and persistent people problems that clog your revenue pipeline in your organization. Mm -hmm. So we want to, to, Look at the people issues, look at your goals and why are you not achieving the goals of your organization? Maybe you have the people in the wrong roles. Mm. That could be something. Okay. You have the wrong people in the wrong roles. You have the right people in your organization, but in the wrong roles. So we look at all their strengths and align them, their strengths to the things that they need to do to the goals that you have. Maybe the person you have is the wrong person in the wrong role, okay. right? And they don't need to be in the, in the organization at all. Um, and then maybe there just needs to be some development within the people because they're having conflict and they don't understand where the conflict is coming from. So we can help them understand and resolve some conflict. We can help them communicate more effectively. And also we can help them with some leadership coaching, some um, skills coaching, um, You know, upskilling them a little bit. So so we really work with people because I am very passionate about people reaching their potential, understanding their potential right. and stop hiding because I know what that is. I know what it feels like. I can recognize it. And I know um I know that someone who has ambition and goals and they, they're trying to get up here. Right. They can't get up here if they continue to hold on to the things that's keeping them down here.
0: Right. Understand. Right. I'm totally getting what you're saying. So you saw in your organization how you had certain mindset and things that were missing and then how you're building into your business. Now you're helping corporations, individuals to try to figure out where they're stuck at and how yeah. to grow from that. And it's specifically things. So in organizations, you always see it's, it's a people problem. You see more than ever, or is it more of a how that entrepreneur, that CEO, the C-suite is able to communicate with the rest of their team?
4: What do you see? Well, both. I mean, it's a lot of it is communication issues. A lot of it is misunderstanding of how to communicate. And I'm certified in two specific uh, assessment tools that we use. We use Colby and we use Predictive Index. And, the, and we use other assessments as well, but these are the ones that I'm certified in. Some of the other team members that I have are certified in other things. Mm-hmm. But um, the reason I do that is because there are three parts of the mind, how we operate. We operate out of these three parts of our mind. We have the cognitive, how we think. Mm-hmm. We have our affective, which is how we feel. You know, everybody talks about emotional intelligence. So we have our IQ, we have our EQ, but we also have the way we are wired to do things instinctively. And that's the Colby piece. Um, And a lot of people don't understand that. And that's that's the foundation of our communication modes as well, how we communicate. And the minute people understand this doing part of the mind, when we unpack that for them, they realize they're having the wrong conversations. Like they're upset about the wrong things. Mm -hmm. They let it go into the affect. They let it go into their emotions when they're not understanding the foundation of where that conflict came from. And so once we, we allow a team, the leader, and then the team to understand those communication gaps that they're having, the conversation changes completely and it's no longer a conflict issue it's more, there's so much more understanding that's built into it. And it just becomes a different conversation and an open, uh, less stressful, less tension in the conversation. Because now we understand each other and we know right. how to approach the, the, to the problem. Sense.
0: So, mm-hmm. and this will give you an example of me. I figured out myself this year. When I took an assessment, I, t- I took the Gallup organization's talent yeah, assessment, uh, talent. Assessment. And, and I was able to find out my number one talent is ideation. And I found out some other ones that keep me s- not stuck, but what maybe keep me understanding I'm achiever, I'm a competitor. I have community, it's my top five communication and strategy. So it goes ideation, strategy, achiever, competitor. And lastly, uh, communication, which you think communication would be number one for me. But once I figured out ideation, I was able to help my clients much more because I bring a skill that, uh, that I need to keep, that t- a talent I need to keep developing yes. because ideation is my goldmine. It's right. where I come up with all these great ideas that a lot of people aren't idea people. Hey, they sit in front of a room and say, why is it when I get on a sales call with somebody or communicate with
4: somebody, I'm able to figure out in seconds what they need? That's my That's- talent. I have wow. ideation in mind, too. I have activator and ideation. I, I've done tons of assess. I love assessments because it informs so much. It informs you about so many of your strengths. Right. And it's like, holy cow. It's and like, then
0: you say, why do I want to sit working 16 hours a day? It's the achiever in me. Right. And the competitor in me does not like to always give people credit. So that <laughs> one is one that I need to let go. I, I gotta see why Gallup even thinks is a good talent, right? No, In no, the, we,
4: you know, you have to reframe it a little bit. Because sometimes what we believe something is, it it it's not necessarily all it is. Right. right? So so something you might have an uh a belief about that it's negative. You need someone with a different point of view to come show you how. Yeah, because I think some people
0: look at competitors as a, a bad thing, when it's a great thing for my clients. Because I always want my clients. Right, you want to them be to be number win. one to win. Right, it's, it's when it, because it's there's a,
4: the, yeah. right. Yeah. The law of polarity. There's a do, there's always two opposites to everything. There's an opposite to everything, but if we keep focusing on one side of it, we don't get to see the other side. So there is there's a positive, and then there's a blind side. Right. You know, so so. There's a negative to it. And a lot of times we focus on the negative. We don't see the positive or we focus on our positive right. and we don't see the only, blind, we blinded. Really, do all the
0: we need to focus on the positive or, or just or turn the negative into a positive? That's my last question because I wish we had more time. Devon, oh, okay. Because can talk. I'll have to
4: come back. Yeah. Because there are two things. So we talk about weaknesses. So it's focusing. We can focus on the positive, but we need to understand the negative. Mm. So we need to know both sides of it so we know what to stay away from especially when it comes to communicating with other people. If we know that okay, I am um I am a an activator, a forward thinker. Right. I move quickly. Mm-hmm. But me moving quickly is a positive, but it can also leave people behind. So I need to be aware that I have to slow things down for other people to catch up. I need so it's it's important to be aware of how it can affect other people, but lean into your strength and keep it top of mind for you um, so so that you can continue to be your authentic self, but recognize people around you when that can impact them in a negative way.
0: I like the whole thing you talk about authentic self. That's the important thing. You got to be authentic. self. if you're not excited about what you're doing and what you're doing, no one's going to buy into it.
4: Right. <laughs> exactly.
1: is
0: not going to buy into it or anything. So you talk about the IQ, which we all understand. The EQ is, I'd really love to have you back. on to talk about the EQ. And then the last part is the secret sauce that you need to contact her for. So where is the best place people can find information on you? So you're an organization an individual that's trying to get through understanding how they can perform better in business and in life, where's the best place?
4: Alicia360.com. So my website is listed there. All my social media is listed there. So that's like the easiest place to, to reach me. All right. Well, we appreciate
0: it. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you so much, Neil. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to The Neil Haley Show and my guest today is very, very creative. And when we talk about NFTs, that's something I'm really trying to learn. But she's an artist that is really looking to transform society through her art, Patricia Geigich. Uh, Patricia, thanks for stopping by. How are you?
5: Hi, I'm excellent. Thank you. And I'm super appreciative of being uh, talking to you today.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So let's kind of just jump into specifically, did you always want to be an artist? Was that something that you kind of strive for when you're young
5: yeah, absolutely. I think I was three years old and I was drawing, believe it or not, Elizabethan ball gowns. Had no idea where I got that from. Must have been in the DNA. And then that just progressed. But I'm super left side, right side. So I went into business. I was actually a bank manager at the same time and then, you know, worked my way into really a, a full time art career.
0: OK, full time art. So start in banking to art. So the, that, that, was that was that a scary transition for you? Because, again, you were making a guaranteed money versus it's all based on your marketing. It's based on your creativity. Yeah. It's based on all that.
5: Well, I never really dropped the business side. I will say that. So I, I became an entrepreneur the whole time that I was doing you know my art. It wasn't a hobby. I did actually take it serious. Um, I exhibited. I actually met my mentor. I think that was the, the turning point in my life. I met my mentor in 1999 in France and when he took me under his belt that would be uh, you know the time that I realized I I had to focus a lot more on yes as you say the marketing of you know the art and I wanted to do my due diligence in a way that would put me being female being Canadian abstract contemporary art not the easiest path to meander so I, I did stick my neck into uh, the business world. I had a property management company. Then I, I really dabbled in retirement, home development, medical centers. And on the other side of that, you know, I, I'm very much, I'm a Rotarian. I'm very much into servitude. And I worked with a number of organizations and, and I became pretty much obsessed with Cambodia. <laughs> and, and I built the first library in Angkor Wat. Oh, and then wow. a school for the poor children and then a school for the monks and I progressed into you know a couple of different areas in Cambodia and I still have a small school um, that's operating in village Romeus, which was a land mined uh, isolated area for a number of years and then when it became open you know they did not have the ability to transition um, there was no no schools, no, no books. These children were very illiterate and it became, you know, so the result of that is my art. When I sell it, certainly it does pay my rent for my studio, but it also supports, you know, the, the most important project of my life.
0: So interesting. And then, so you said learning from your mentor, you learn exactly how you can make money as an artist? I know you're not, definitely not one of those starving artists. You really are successful. What do you? What kind of recommendations should you give artists starting out to be able to be successful in this in, in this industry? It's a big challenge, but there's so much opportunity for artists out there right now. I think more creatives before because of NFTs, because of so many people looking for people who can create such amazing art for their homes or their office buildings or different things. So artists have if they're good at marketing themselves, right, can do really well, right?
5: Art became, I think, in the world, uh, it became an a luxury item. There was a period of time, you know, artists were eccentric. They were, you know, everybody wanted to strive to be in that circle. As an artist, you're always looking to find, you know, the best ways, depending on what it is that you were creating, and. I, I believe strongly that, you know, get a master's degree, get your, get your art history down, snuggle into it, learn business because the the art is a business. There's no question. Uh, you can be as lucky as you want and get Christie's or Sotheby's to, you know, recognize you or, or take you under their belt. I still believe it's an old boys club, six degrees of separation. You can do a lot of things, but Whatever you do, be a master of it. Be really, really good at what you do. You'll always, um, you'll always find your way. And if you know, for those people who become fashion designers, you know that's that's another path. It's a struggle where you know you can be so creative and and have so many great ideas and create these fabulous uh, gowns. But again, it's like if you're not liked, or there is something, or you don't have the financial backing you might just be sitting there with your genius brain and never getting the opportunity to be exposed to the world. So I think if you decide that this is the career path that you want to take, you're in for the long haul. And it's a a huge commitment that you don't close your eyes at any given point in time. I also say never try and cross. It's like a horse race. You know what you're in it and, and you're in competition, but you never, ever want to cross the finish line. You always want to know what's going on beside you. Who's your competition? And then what do you have to do to get better? Like, what is it that you need to do? And collaborations are really important as well as, you know, again, mentoring. And I, I truly believe karmically, I was very, very blessed to walk into a situation and it was all synergy, synchronicity, and you pay attention. I think you need to pay attention to those details. Use your inner intuition and step up to the plate and that's the other side of it don't ever give up because a dream if you have that dream the only way a dream can can take place is by action you okay. can think about it yeah. you can dream about it so no, no.
0: sure so true. So, true. You know? so tell me tell me about your art your latest projects coming up and other things where people can find more info on you when
5: you do okay so i have an obsession with music um i'm a drummer percussionist i'm a bad guitar player uh i do however have And always have been playing to music. Um, Every single exhibition that I have is usually theme-based. I spent two years studying and loving the music of Eagle and Hawk, which is a Canadian indigenous band. Vince Fontaine, the late Vince Fontaine, unfortunately he passed away, was one of the magical creators. Brian Mello had a band, Apollo's Crown. He was a Canadian Idol winner in 2007. They created incredible music and I did a lot of painting to that. This last go around for me is uh, I am quite obsessed with Pat Matheny uh, funk jazz and his album Side Eye NYC really hit a lot of marks for me. And in one particular song called Lodger and I would play it over and over and over. And I and it was like, Neil, I could not stop listening to it. So as I'm painting The 13th Street Gallery, who represents me, uh, said to me, you know, we're going to have a salon show. Are you interested? I said, yeah, definitely. And I'd like to do it based on this latest body of work, which is really contemporary, very abstract, very vibrational, etheric, but totally based on feeling. Mm -hmm. So basically, I don't care if anyone walks in and likes the work or not. It is it's honest and truthful and feeling and um quite a deviation from my masterwork which you know is it's got a whole different vibe to it but i am really excited because Pat metheny is actually going to be performing uh, at meridian hall in toronto on september 13th all right so i will actually be able to sit in the audience and hear the music which inspired me and uh and i'm just going to continue doing uh, doing that the other side of it is and you mentioned nft i have a collaboration with um, a friend of mine since I was 12 years old, actually, uh, Greg Francesco And what we've done is uh, created these paintings based on very famous drummers. So we took, mm-hmm. uh, for example, Stuart Copeland, John Bonham, uh, of course, Canada's Neil Peart, who unfortunately died um, two years ago of glioblastoma, brain cancer. Mm-hmm. But Neil was from the area. And mm-hmm. so we decided to do create some NFTs that are actually, we've painted the painting of the drum kit. I painted the, the head or the body persona of the drummer. And then we turned the music on and we took our sticks and our wires and we started drumming to their music on the painting.
1: Okay. So
5: then we videoed us doing that on the painting so that it became the bonus. So if somebody were to purchase our, our, Um, NFT, our non-fungible token, they would also receive the little video clip of us performing on that canvas to create that work and uh, so it's it's a very emotive very um, sort of an exceptional thing the the pieces for Neil Peart we have decided to also exhibit at my show which is opening on September 24th so there will be two or three pieces in honor of Neil Peart dedication to him. And, uh, so we're, we're really, you know, touched and excited that we'll have that opportunity it's to do awesome. the work.
0: Where uh, can, where can the listeners and viewers find information on you about these projects that are coming up? Where can they go? Uh,
5: so right. My website is patriciacarenguygich.com. So www.patriciacarenguygich.com. And I can